Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Well, today I want to share with you a sermon that inspired me greatly last year. I was um, Much of what I'll be saying, I heard from a guy by the name of Tony Suarez. He was preaching at the annual meeting of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And as we look at the mission of our church, it hit me that what Tony had said fits perfectly with our mission today. When I got into ministry many years ago, I remember having a lot of discussions, especially at seminary, about the problems in the church and how we needed to be more like a New Testament church, a Book of Acts-type church. And people would say that they hoped that somehow we could just get back to the way it was at the beginning. And what I came to learn was that they meant basically a very, very tiny part of the history of the church that's described for us in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there's this description of the church. You've probably heard this before, but these are the verses. It's in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there it is. That's what everyone wants. Well, there are 7,957 verses in the New Testament. Out of that, five verses are when things were great. That is 0.062%. I think you can understand where I am going. But I remember being in seminary and people talking about we need to be a New Testament church. And I remember a professor one time saying... Before you ask that, have you read the book of Acts? Before you ask that question, reread the book of Acts. So I want us to consider this morning the book of Acts, at least the first 10 chapters, and see what the community of believers was like. So in chapter 1, as Doug read for us, you have Jesus giving this great promise to the disciples and telling them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is an exciting time for the church. And so Jesus is taken up into heaven, and the disciples go back to Jerusalem, and they gather together in a room. There's, this isn't just the now 11 disciples. This is 120 of the followers, and they're all together. And they're told to wait. So what do they do? They sit around and they go... You know, there, must have, there used to be 12 of us. We need to pick another. Okay, well, how should we do that? Well, I don't know. How should we do it? I don't know. Well, Jesus is the one who picked all of us, so why don't we draw straws? So they are going to pick another apostle, one of the 12, by drawing straws. And so they nominate two people. They nominate a guy by the name of, um, oh, let's see. Barsabbas and Matthias. 
Matthias. And they draw straws, and Matthias is chosen. And you never hear about him again. <laughs> so in chapter 1, the church already has leadership issues. So you go to chapter 2. And the promise of the Father has arrived. A mighty and great wind and fire come. And the Spirit comes. And you would think that the world would go, wow, this is great. And what happens? No, the world goes, ha, these guys must be drunk. <laughs> Chapter 2, the world is mocking the church. So in two chapters, we have leadership issues and we have the church being mocked. The chapter ends with people selling all their possessions and giving to the poor. But then chapter 3 begins, and you have Peter and John going to church, going to the temple. And they're going to worship God, and on their way, they see a beggar. And the beggar is there, he's crippled, and he goes, he's asking for money. And Peter and John go, we don't have any money. We're broke. The church already has financial problems. It is chapter 3, and they have financial problems. People are going to worship. God added daily to their number. There's all these new disciples, and there's still a cripple on the way to work, I mean, the way to church. It seems like there's also a lack of compassion. So Peter and John, they go, well, we can't give you any money, but why don't you just get up and walk by yourself? So we have financial problems and a lack of compassion. And then in chapter 4, Jerusalem is being filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People's lives are being changed. This is great. And what happens to the apostles? They get thrown in jail. This is the thanks they get for helping the poor and the needy and the crippled and telling people about God's love for them. They get put in jail. So we have leadership problems. We have mockery. We have financial problems, we have a lack of compassion, and now we have persecution. And then we get to chapter 5. And I know that this has never happened here, but Ananias and Sapphira come to church. And what do they do? They lie to the Holy Ghost. And so now we have deceit in the church of Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, the number of disciples is multiplying, it says. It wasn't just about adding to their number. No, this is multiplication. This is church growth on steroids. But it says there, as the number of disciples were growing, so was the murmuring. People are murmuring. And what are they murmuring about? They are murmuring about the blessings. The church finally got the money thing worked out, and now people are complaining about who got served first. They are complaining, I didn't get any flavored coffee, or there was no flavored coffee creamer left. <laughs> or maybe some other people going, I didn't know they got cookies at the first service. <laughs> and so the church is growing, but so is the murmuring. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're just going to look at the first 10. <laughs> chapter 1, 
Chapter 7 comes, and the mighty evangelist Stephen preaches. And he preaches with such gusto and power that they stone him to death. And so we have more persecution. Chapter 8, a man by the name of Simon the Sorcerer, he sees the apostles praying for people, and they lay their hands on people, and when they lay their hands on people, the people receive the Holy Spirit, and Simon goes, wow, how much is that? He thought he could buy the gift of God. And so in chapter 8, we have corruption in the church. And then we get to chapter 9. And the great enemy of the church, Saul of Tarsus, who's been persecuting the church, he has this mighty conversion on the road to Damascus. And he gives his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church hears the good news. And they say, no, 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 not him. No, no, no. The blood that saved my sins is not saving him. And in the ninth chapter, we already have a legalistic, judgmental church that doesn't believe that the blood of Jesus is for everyone. Finally, we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10, Jesus tells Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius' house and share with him the good news. And Peter goes, Whoa, Jesus! I know you're up in heaven now, but there is no way in the world I am going to those people. They are dirty. They are unclean. They are not like me. And so in the 10th chapter, we already have segregation and racism inside the church of Jesus Christ. That is the New Testament church. That is the New Testament church that I want our church to be like. Why in the world would I pray for us to be a New Testament church? And you get to the 10th chapter and you realize that the church is messed up. It is made up of messed up and imperfect people. Since its inception, since its beginning, it has been made up of imperfect people. And the church has had issues from the beginning. And many people today think that there, there is no future for the church. We are facing enemies outside the church. Our culture is anti-Christian and we live in a post-Christian world. And there is corruption in the church. But there is another way to look at the book of Acts. And this is why I have hope. This is why I have hope. I have read the book of Acts. And if you read it this way, you won't see any problems at all. Instead, what you will see is God at work in every chapter. God was doing something in every chapter. So in chapter 1, God makes a promise. In chapter 2, God fulfills the promise. In chapter 3, there are miracles. In chapter 4, there is mass evangelization. In chapter 5, there is mass miracles. In chapter 6, there is multiplication. In chapter 7, Jesus is being glorified. 
In chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is being poured out again in a powerful way. In chapter 9, unlikely people are coming into the kingdom of God. And in chapter 10, the church is becoming a global entity. And how can this be? How can it be that in the midst of a church that is so messed up, full of imperfect people, where there is chaos, where there is problems, where there is murmuring, where there is corruption and deceit, how can it be that in this church there are signs and wonders and miracles and people's lives are being changed and the church is growing? How can that be? And it is this. Before there ever was a you or a me, before there ever was a church, there was a promise. And that promise is from Jesus himself. And we read it earlier in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he made a promise to us, to his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say, I hope the gates of hell won't prevail against us. He didn't say it might not. He said it will not. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Why? Because this is his church. It's not our church. It's not mine or anyone else. And hell has raised its best weapons against the church, trying to destroy the church. Remember, communistic governments have tried to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ in China. And it is the fastest growing church in the world. The powers of hell tried to destroy Jesus. And so Jesus was killed, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. And he is victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And he promised that all the powers of hell will not prevail against his church. So why does the church prevail when there is chaos, problems, corruption, murmurings, and sin? Because in spite of us, we are the glorious, triumphant church of Jesus Christ. It is not about us. It's all about Jesus. We are not the ones changing people's lives. God is the one who is changing people's lives. And the church has always had problems, and it will always have problems. Because the church is full of us. <laughs> so don't be upset at the humanity of the church. Don't be so upset at the humanity of the church that we forget that we are the visible image of the invisible God. And the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. He is the head, and we are the body. He is the one who's leading and Jesus still has a plan for our church, for his church. And he has a plan for the world for which he died and for which he rose again. And this fits right into the mission of the church. If you look inside your bulletin, on the top left-hand side, it says, Hope Covenant Church. Hope is a community where imperfect people belong. That would be us. God moves and you look throughout the book of Acts, God is moving. And what we want to do is see where God is moving and then join where he is moving. And come alongside where, what God is doing. 
The church is made up of imperfect people. If we were perfect and we, didn't, we wouldn't need God, we wouldn't need a Savior, we wouldn't need a Lord. But once we recognize that, God can work in us and in his church to do his work. And so it's our job to see where God is moving and then join him. Jesus is still the one who changes lives. Never forget it's Jesus who changes lives, not us. And this is the whole history of the church. And the church always gets in trouble when we forget that it's Jesus' church. And when we try to do ministry here without Jesus, we mess things up. We get things wrong. And when we start complaining, it's usually about things, our wants, our desires, rather than the Lord's. And when we submit ourselves to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to have full control of our lives and in our church, God can and will still do miraculous things in our midst, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And God has equipped us to do acts of love in his name. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you, it's the same 2,000 years ago. Paul was talking to the church then and said, this is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking to imperfect people there. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that is the mission of the church. And that is what we try to capture in our mission statement. Hope is a community where imperfect people belong, God is moving, or God moves. Lives are changed by God, and love acts. We are to be motivated by love to act and to serve. And that is the New Testament church. Think about this. Noah's ark is an image of the church. Think about it for a second. Doesn't it amaze you that they didn't kill each other on the ark? And I'm not talking about the animals. <laughs> somehow, though, they knew that God was at work. And somehow they got along in a dark, smelly, dirty place because they knew that God was at work. And the ark was their mode of salvation. And so instead of cursing the ark, they thanked God for the ark. 
And the only hope we have for the future is that Jesus promised the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I am excited to be part of his church. I'm excited to be part of what God is doing in our midst. I'm excited about where God is leading. And I hope you will join me. And so we, the church of Jesus Christ, are celebrating together. We are celebrating community. With all our problems, with all our imperfections, we celebrate community because we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are his church. So belong to this community where imperfect people belong. God moves, lives change, and love acts. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is still at work in this world And you love this world more than we ever could. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to be the people you've called us to be with all our imperfections. Transform us and change us. And help us, Lord, to share your love with a world that's in desperate need of your love. And help us, Lord, to be thankful to you in all things. This is our hope and our prayer, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.